Welcome to Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. My name is Megan Muller. I'm here today with Dr. Tim Bartell. Hello. Jonathan Muller. Hello. And Nick Dalby. Hello. We are all here because we're going to be doing a forum podcast today. The format of these is a little bit different rather than just having a conversation. We are going to try to model for you pressure's on fellas what it means to have a discussion about a text we do dialectic education here at the saint constantine school we think it's a very important way to engage with texts and we're going to do a little bit of that here we're using a short common text if you want to read along with us we're going to be looking today at a scene from the merchant of venice by william shakespeare we're going to be looking at act four scene one which is the famous courtroom scene from this play Um, We're going to read most of it, not all of it. We're going to read most of the scene out loud for you with parts. Hopefully we won't be too atrociously boring while we do it. And then we'll just dive into a discussion. Usually when we do discussions, there's like an opening question and things are much more careful perhaps, but we're just going to go for it and we'll see what happens. We don't necessarily encourage that, but that's what we're going to do today. (laughs) A little background about The Merchant of Venice, just so that you know what we're reading as we start. The Merchant of Venice is a man. His name is Antonio. He is a merchant who has goods on ships that are going around the world. And he has a friend named Bassanio. Bassanio falls in love with a beautiful, wealthy woman, but Bassanio has no dough. And so he's looking for a way to bankroll the pursuit of this woman named Portia. And so he comes to Antonio and asks him to lend him the money that he needs so that he can pursue his beloved. Antonio does not have any liquid cash at the moment because all of his goods are invested in the ships that are sailing about. He goes to Shylock who is a resident of Venice, a Jewish person. He's not necessarily someone who enjoys the full rights of citizenship in Venice to be lent the money. Antonio goes to Shylock to borrow money. Shylock has a longstanding grudge against Antonio because of the way Antonio treats Shylock because he is a Jew. And despite that, Antonio is able to secure a loan from Shylock. But the conditions that Shylock sets are that if Antonio is not able to pay the debt Shylock is allowed to take a pound of Antonio's flesh as payment. They agree to these ridiculous terms because, of course, what could possibly go wrong that would ever require them to call him this debt? And Shylock was surely mostly joking, and this was a sign of his goodwill. It's hyperbolic. This would never actually happen. Bassanio leaves. He woos Portia. It's all going swimmingly. They get engaged. Hurrah, hurrah. All of Antonio's ships are lost. Antonio loses all of his wealth. And Shylock is calling the debt. So the scene that we're landing in, Act 4, Scene 1, is the courtroom scene where Antonio's fate hangs in the balance. So we're going to start reading. The characters that you're going to be hearing are the Duke of Venice, Portia, Bassanio's beloved, who is also uh, happens to be whip smart and is there disguised as a man pretending to be the judge who they are letting preside over this case. Shylock is there representing himself. Antonio is there. Remember, he's the merchant. Bassanio is also there to try to influence the court on behalf of his friend. And then Graziano, who's sort of a wisecracking, rude 
jokey sort of character in the lines of like Mercutio from uh, Romeo and Juliet and many others of his kind in other plays. So he's there too, sort of giving his gross, weird commentary on the state of things. Nerissa has one line. She's Mm -hmm. Portia's right-hand lady, and she happens to be with Graziano. Against her better judgment. Yes, yes. She's a little bit more of a sensible person, but he somehow bagged her. So anyway. We're going to get started. Everybody else is here still, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah okay, here. good. Phew. I, great summary. No one fell asleep. Was that okay? Am <laughs> that I missing great. anything? Yep. No? no I, think, I think that gets us to the Okay, if you already knew the play Merchant of Venice, I'm so sorry that I just irritated you. If not, hopefully that was helpful, and we'll get started with the reading. So we start with the Duke in the courtroom. You are welcome. Take your place. Are you acquainted with the difference that holds this present question in the court? I am informed thoroughly of the cause. Which is the merchant here, and which the Jew? Antonio and old Shylock. Both stand forth. Is your name Shylock? Shylock is my name. Of a strange nature is the suit you follow. Yet in such rule that the Venetian law cannot impugn you as you do proceed. You stand within his danger, do you not? Aye, so he says. Do you confess the bond? I do. Then must the Jew be merciful? On what compulsion must I? Tell me that. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above this sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself, and earthly power doth then show likest gods when mercy seasons justice. Therefore, Jew, though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy. And that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. I have spoke thus much to mitigate the justice of thy plea which if thou follow this strict court of Venice must needs give sentence against the merchant there. My deeds upon my head. I crave the law, the penalty and forfeit of my bond. Is he not able to discharge the money? Yes, here I tender it for him in the court. Yea, twice the sum. If that will not suffice, I will be bound to pay it ten times o'er, on forfeit of my hands, my head, my heart. If this will not suffice, it must appear that malice bears down truth. And I beseech you, rest once the law to your authority, to do a great right, do a little wrong, and curb this cruel devil of his will. It must not be. There is no power in Venice can alter a decree established. T'will be recorded for a precedent, and many an error by the same example will rush into the state. It cannot be. A Daniel come to judgment. Yea, a Daniel, O wise young judge, how I do honor thee. I pray you, let me look upon the bond. Here it is, most reverend doctor, here it is. Shylock, there's thrice thy money offered thee. An oath, an oath, I have an oath in heaven. Shall I lay perjury upon my soul? No, not for Venice. Why, this bond is forfeit. And lawfully by this the Jew may claim a pound of flesh to be by him cut off nearest the merchant's heart. Be merciful, take thrice thy money, bid me tear the bond. When it is paid according to the tenor. It doth appear you are a worthy judge. You know the law. Your exposition hath been most sound. I charge you, by the law, 
whereof you are a well-deserving pillar, proceed to judgment. By my soul, I swear, there is no power in the tongue of man to alter me. I stay here on my bond. Most heartily I do beseech the court to give the judgment. Why then, tis thus it is. You must prepare your bosom for his knife. O oh, noble judge, O oh, excellent young man! For the intent and purpose of the law hath full relation to the penalty, which here appeareth due upon the bond. Tis very true. O oh, wise and upright judge, how much the more elder art thou than thy looks. Therefore, lay bare your bosom. Ay, his breast. So says the bond. Doth it not, noble judge? Nearest his heart, those are the very words. It is so. Are there balance here to weigh the flesh? I have them ready. Have by some surgeon, Shylock, on your charge to stop his wounds, lest he do bleed to death. Is it so nominated in the bond? It is not so expressed, but what of that? Twere good you do so much for charity. I cannot find it. Tis not in the bond. Come, merchant. Have you anything to say? But little. I am armed and well prepared. Give me your hand, Bassanio. Fare you well. Grieve not that I am fallen to this for you. For herein fortune shows herself more kind than is her custom. It is still her use to let the wretched man outlive his wealth, to view with hollow eye and wrinkled brow an age of poverty, from which lingering penance of such misery doth she cut me off. Commend me to your honorable wife. Tell her the process of Antonio's end. Say how I loved you. Speak me fair in death. And when the tale is told, bid her be judge whether Bassanio had not once a love. Repent not that you shall lose your friend, and he repents not that he pays your debt. For if the Jew do cut but deep enough, I'll pay it instantly with all my heart. Antonio, I am married to a wife which is as dear to me as life itself. But life itself, my wife, and all the world are not with me esteemed above thy life. I would lose all, I sacrifice them all here to this devil to deliver you. Your wife would give you little thanks for that if she were by to hear you make the offer. I have a wife whom I protest I love. I would she were in heaven so she could entreat some power to change this cursed Jew. Tis well you offer it behind her back. The wish would make else an unquiet house. These be Christian husbands. I have a daughter. Would any stock of Barabbas had been her husband rather than a Christian? We trifle time, I pray thee, pursue sentence. A pound of that same merchant's flesh is thine. The court awards it, and the law doth give it. Most rightful judge. And you must cut this flesh from off his breast. The law allows it, and the court awards it. Most learned judge. A sentence, come, prepare. Tarry a little. There is something else. This bond doth give thee here no jot of blood. The words expressly are a pound of flesh. Then... Take thy bond, take thou thy pound of flesh, but in the cutting it, if thou dost shed one drop of Christian blood, thy lands and goods are, by the laws of Venice, confiscate unto the state of Venice. O upright judge, mark Jew, O learned judge! Is that the law? Thyself shalt see the act. For, as thou urgest justice, be assured thou shalt have justice more than thou desirest. O learned judge, mark Jew, a learned judge! I take this offer, then. Pay the bond thrice, and let the Christian go. Here is the money. Soft. The Jew shall have all justice. Soft. No haste. He shall have nothing but the penalty. O Jew, an upright judge, a learned judge. Therefore, prepare thee to cut off the flesh. Shed thou no blood, nor cut thou less, nor more, but just a pound of flesh. If thou takest more or less than just pound, 
be it but so much as makes it light or heavy in the substance or the division of the twentieth part of one poor scruple. Nay, if the scale do turn but in the estimation of a hair, thou diest, and all thy goods are confiscated. A second Daniel, a Daniel Jew. Now, infidel, I have thee on the hip. Why doth the Jew pause? Take thy forfeiture. Give me my principle, and let me go. I have it ready for thee. Here it is. He hath refused it in the open court. He shall have merely justice and his bond. A Daniel still say I, a second Daniel. I thank thee, Jew, for teaching me that word. Shall I not have barely my principle? Thou shalt have nothing but the forfeiture, to be so taken at thy peril, Jew. Why then the devil give him good of it? I'll stay no longer question. Tarry, Jew. The law hath handed yet another hold on you. It is enacted in the laws of Venice, if it be proved against an alien that by direct or indirect attempts he seek the life of any citizen, the party against the which he doth contrive shall seize one half his goods. The other half comes to the privy coffer of the state, and the offender's life lies in the mercy of the duke only, against all other voice. In which predicament I say thou standest. For it appears by manifest proceeding that, indirectly, and directly too, thou hast contrived against the very life of the defendant, and thou hast incurred the danger formerly by me rehearsed. Down, therefore, and beg mercy of the duke. Beg that thou mayst have leave to hang thyself, and yet, thy wealth being forfeit to the state, thou hast not left the value of a cord. Therefore thou must be hanged at the state's charge. That thou shalt see the difference of our spirits, I pardon thee thy life before thou ask it. For half thy wealth, it is Antonio's, the other half comes to the general state, which humbleness may drive unto a fine. I for the state, not for Antonio. Nay, take my life and all, pardon not that. You take my house when you do take the prop that doth sustain my house. You take my life when you do take the means whereby I live. What mercy can you render him, Antonio? A halter gratis, nothing else, for God's sake. So please, my lord the duke and all the court, to quit the fine for one half of his goods. I am content, so he will let me have the other half in use to render it upon his death, unto the gentleman that lately stole his daughter. Two things provided more, that for this favor he presently become a Christian, the other that he do record a gift here in the court of all he dies possessed unto his son Lorenzo and his daughter. He shall do this, or else I do recant the pardon that I late pronounced here. Art thou contented, Jew? What dost thou say? I am content. Clerk, draw a deed of gift. I pray you give me leave to go from hence. I am not well. Send the deed after me, and I will sign it. Get thee gone, but do it. In christening shalt thou have two godfathers. Had I been judged, thou shouldst have had ten more to bring thee to the gallows, not the font. Sir, I entreat you home with me to dinner. I humbly do desire your grace of pardon. I must away this night toward Padua, and it is meet I presently sent forth. I am sorry that your leisure serves you not. Antonio, gratify this gentleman, for in my mind you are much bound to him. Most worthy gentleman, I and my friend have by your wisdom been this day acquitted of grievous penalties. In lieu whereof, three thousand ducats due unto the Jew, we freely cope your courteous pains withal and stand indebted over and above in love and service to you evermore. He is well paid that is well satisfied, and I, delivering you, am satisfied, and therein do account myself well paid. My mind was never yet more mercenary. I pray you, know me when we meet again. I wish you well, and so I take my leave. 
Dear sir, of force, I must attempt you further. Take some remembrance of us, as a tribute, not as a fee. Grant me two things, I pray you, not to deny me and to pardon me. You press me far, and therefore I will yield. Give me your gloves, and I'll wear them for your sake. And for your love, I'll take this ring from you. Do not draw back your hand, I'll take no more. And you in love shall not deny me this. This ring, good sir? Alas, it, it is a trifle. I will not shame myself to give you this. I will have nothing else, but only this. And now, methinks, I have a mind to it. There's more depends on this than on the value. The dearest ring in Venice will I give you, and find it out by proclamation. Only for this, I pray you, pardon me. I see, sir, you are liberal in offers. You taught me first to beg, and now, methinks, you teach me how a beggar should be answered. Good sir, this ring was given me by my wife. And when she put it on, she made me vow that I should neither sell, nor give, nor lose it. That excuse serves many men to save their gifts. And if your wife be not a mad woman, and know how well I have deserved the ring, she would not hold out enemy forever for giving it to me. Well, peace be with you. My lord Bassanio, let him have the ring. Let his deservings, and my love withal, be valued gainst your wife's commandment. Go, Gratiano, run and overtake him. Give him the ring. And bring him, if thou canst, unto Antonio's house. Away, make haste. Come, you and I will thither presently, and in the morning early will we both fly toward Belmont. Come, Antonio. All right. So, that's the courtroom scene for Merchant of Venice, most of it. What do we think? So, there are obviously so many directions we could go. This might be one of the most difficult moments at least in a comedy for me, because it contains a forced conversion, which just really is a slap in the face, kind of to all present, right? Because in one motion, they have attacked Shylock's heritage, and they also seem to have done violence to their own professed creed of mercy. And so if I were leading a discussion on, on this text, one question that I would want to ask is, are either justice or mercy carried out in this scene? Some form of that. Justice on paper can't be enacted without the bond being forfeit on Shylock's end and him being punished. Bassanio is still willing to give abundantly to make up for it and isn't sort of anticipating that Shylock's going to get punished in any way. Yeah, I was struck by Bassanio. I mean, he seems very sincere. All of this talk about how to gratify justice in this moment. And Bassanio is always sitting there just ready with the money every day, mm -hmm. knowing that in doing that, he's going to save Antonio's life and he's going to save, you know, Shylock from whatever might happen to him afterwards as well. And it's interesting, too, thinking about the, the idea of justice in this sense. That's been a question that I've been thinking about even just preparing for this is what sort of justice are we talking about exactly? Because mm -hmm. um, it doesn't seem like the kind of justice that is interested in context of what's going on. It's a kind of justice that is either do this or this thing is going to happen without taking into consideration the people who are involved, the potential consequences that might come as a result of that. And instead it's this weird kind of cold, right? It's a legal justice. Mm-hmm. That, I think, kind of sheds an interesting light then on why Portia brings up mercy. And now I'm saying all of this and trying to think about how does Bassanio fit into all of this as well. But he seems to be interested in preserving, Bassanio does, preserving kind of the, hum I don't know, maybe that's too strong, preserving the humanity 
uh, in all of this. He does seem to not be forgetting that these are real people who are going to be killed or maimed or suffering. Like, if you take Portia's, it really depends, you know, sort of on the characterization as you read it. If you take Portia as someone who's, like, trying to truly embody the blindness of justice, that first line where she says, which is the merchant here and which is the Jew... Like, you can tell the difference between an Orthodox Jew and a Christian merchant who's a Venetian. Like, Mm. you can tell. And so her asking that question is strange. I think it has to do with, like, well, there are several theories on what that could mean. But I think it has to do with, like, she's truly trying to be the impartial, blind to context. You don't think about the people as people who are being hurt. And Bassanio seems incapable of that, which in this case sort of lends him, it paints him in a favorable light. The simple fact is... Shylock legally is owed something and it seems like Bassanio doesn't forget that like no he's owed money he he gave money and now he's owed it he lent money and now he's owed it back yeah I get the feeling that Portia as blind and and sort of justice imitating as she is it seems like she's very I don't know she moves toward either be merciful or we're going to interpret the law as unfavorably toward Shylock as possible. Now, of course, we know that she wants to save her guys, but I don't know. I usually am sympathetic to Portia's trying to trap Shylock because of how unfeeling Shylock is, but Shylock is owed justice-wise, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I, so, I, I'm, I'm troubled by it. It is troubling. So... A great question is, what is Shylock owed at the end of the day? He is, in the course of justice, he is owed something. But at the same time, in the course of justice, he is guilty of trying to kill a citizen, which makes him vulnerable to other elements of justice in this scene. And yet, Portia says, we do pray for mercy, right? Mm -hmm. She's echoing, Lord, have mercy upon us. We do pray for mercy. And that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. I have spoke thus much to mitigate the justice of thy plea, which if thou follow, this strict court of Venice must needs give sentence against the merchant there. It just seems like she invokes Christian mercy. She even reminds the audience and those present of like the prayer that, that Christians are instructed to be mm. praying at all times. And then... When Shylock crosses the line and shows that he is actually willing to exact the full penalty of death, it's almost as if she decides, okay, he's no longer worthy of mercy. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem consistent with her description of mercy in mm-hmm. this in this introductory mm-hmm. speech. Yeah, because she says, well, is there a doctor here to basically help him once mm-hmm. you've cut the pound of flesh? And he says, that's not in the bond. Is that the turning point, you think? Or has she already decided, I mean, it's hard to know motivations and unspoken desires in Shakespeare. Is that the moment, though, where Shylock has stepped beyond Portia's willingness to be merciful to him? Perhaps. And she has given him multiple chances, right? She Mm -hmm. begins, well, then then must the Jew be merciful. Mm -hmm. Um and he asks upon what compulsion must I, and they work through a few things, and then she, again, when thrice the money is offered, she again says, be merciful, take thrice thy money, bid me tear the bond, and Mm -hmm. Shylock won't have it. So 
arguably she extends the opportunity for Shylock to be merciful, which ostensibly could lead to him receiving mercy mm-hmm. had he been willing to show any kind of mercy himself. Mm-hmm. But again, that's not how mercy works in her introductory speech. Like you have to earn mercy by showing mercy yourself. Right. That's just justice. I Well... Or not, is but it? that's it seems like an eye for an eye or like yes, a mercy for a mercy, a mercy for is a what mercy. she's demanding yeah. of him. And she's not living out, mm-hmm. you know, be merciful, have mercy upon those, right, who are within, like, your purview, right? It's almost like a uh, Lord's Prayer flip where she will only forgive him his debts as he forgives his debtors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is a New Testament principle, mm-hmm. but... It's interesting to see it applied in a law court. And we have to remember, Portia is not a judge. Not Portia a judge. Portia is breaking, I don't know how many Venetian laws <laughs> by pretending to be the judge. Yes. But she's totally Thankfully, not the Duke doing... and all involved are like, oh, phew, if a judge showed up, we'll uh-huh. just take this guy. <laughs> Nobody word. wanted to handle this one. <laughs> yeah. Though, I do think it's also interesting that Shylock never asks for mercy. That's at true. All. Right. So he doesn't... It's not, you know, you think, oh, well, he's not willing to give mercy, and so Mm -hmm. we aren't going to give him any mercy. That's Mm -hmm. one thing. But it's one thing to do that when the person is begging you for mercy, and you say, no, we're not going to give you any mercy. And it's another thing to say, you wanted us to do all of this by the the book? Mm. We're going to keep doing it by the book. But he doesn't complain. I mean, the staging here, you know, Portia ends at line 375 with down, therefore, and beg mercy of the Duke. She advises Shylock to ask for mercy, to beg for mercy. And then Graziano, before he knows exactly what all is going to happen, is like, I hope he's going to be hanged and Mm -hmm. he can't even afford rope anymore. So the state's going to have to give him rope. But the Duke, I think we're supposed to think Shylock does not bow here. Mm -hmm. Because the Duke says that thou shalt see the difference of our spirits. I'm better than you. I pardon thy, thy, thy life before thou ask it. So assuming Shylock has not bent the knee. Mm-hmm. He's not begging the Duke for mercy. I don't know what he's doing. It's an interesting choice. It's an interesting opportunity for the actor to make some choices there. But this is not a man who is now going to ask for something he wasn't willing to give another person, which mm-hmm. you can look at as being stubborn, arrogant, spiteful, whatever. You also could look at it as being sort of noble. I, and I'm wondering too, how do you give mercy to someone who doesn't want it? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't know that you like wouldn't. Especially for someone like Shylock in this situation, I don't know what mercy would look like for him that didn't also kind of rub us all the wrong way. Well, so I wonder if the closest we get to that is in what Antonio says, because he says, so please, my lord, the duke and all the court to quit the fine for one half of his goods. I am content, so he will let me have the other half in use to render it upon his death unto the gentleman that lately stole his daughter. It seems like in using that word stole, he's conceding, yes. A man married his daughter without his approval, but he's not even saying, yeah, let me have it when I want it. It's let him give his wealth as a dowry to his daughter upon his death. It seems like Antonio is being quite gracious there, given that Shylock just said, you take my house when you do take the prop that doth sustain my house. You take my life when you take the means whereby you live. Antonio is saying you can have the means whereby you live, or at least the half that would go to him. I don't know if we're supposed to think that the other half will go to the state or not. But Antonio seems to be as merciful as he can be, mm-hmm. at least in the present. Now, this all of your money will go from 
the Jewish community to the Christian community in perpetuity, that's, I think, more troubling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also, I didn't say this before because <clears throat> I forgot, but there's also this, like, you guys were talking about, like, invoking all this New Testament language and ideology. Like, mm-hmm. isn't that to some degree wasted on someone who does not believe the New Testament is a part of the scriptural can- you know like mm. shylock the new testament does not apply to shylock in some pretty significant ways and so appealing there's a sense in which appealing to the values that are taught in the new testament mm. is going to fall on ears that are w- not inclined to hear it because it's mm. not i mean you can make an argument mm. that the god of the old testament is also a god of mercy and not simply a god of justice mm-hmm. but it seems like that's what's being played on here the thing that shylock knows is the character of god is the pitch that Portia as the judge is offering in this beautiful mm-hmm. monologue actually something that from his heritage and his religion standpoint tracks with what's true? That gets really complicated, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is Shylock even acting on Jewish principles? Or, or personal revenge. Or personal revenge. It's obviously at least personal revenge. Yes. But is it within, I don't know, is it in the spirit of the Torah I'm sure great scholarship has been done on sort of Torah (laughs) references in this. It's tough because we're dealing with segregated communities. Mm -hmm. And so there's this concept that all of what Shylock's community has will pass away into the greater Christian community of Venice. And the reason that he is even slapped with the penalty of giving up his goods is because he is considered... Not technically a Venetian, right? If it's not against an alien Mm -hmm. that by direct or indirect attempts, he seek the life of any citizen. So this is sort of a he is part of the Venetian community, but the part of the Venetian community that is seen as alien. And it seems like if we go back to this idea of. Is he someone who even understands the kind of mercy that Portia is being talked about? It's problematic because. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? right. We don't, yes. and that's that, the that image goes, that she invokes here. Right. The that mercy goes, is dropping on everybody. Right, and presumably some of that mercy will be extended to those who are not themselves merciful mm-hmm. um, because they haven't done anything to deserve yeah. mercy, but that's what mercy is. Though she does say, and you pointed us to this earlier, that those who pray for mercy are taught to render the deeds of mercy. And I think it's significant that Shylock does not pray for mercy at the end of this. Like Mm -hmm. if you're not the sort of person, so she's saying it positively, but if you take it negatively, so she's saying, if you're the sort of person who prays for mercy, your prayer is going to teach you to render mercy in your life to others. Well, if you're the sort of person who does not pray for mercy for himself, Mm -hmm. are you trained to then extend mercy to others when you never ask for it yourself? I think that's maybe what we see at the end of the play. Would it be hypocritical of Shylock to ask for mercy? I wonder if this is in one sense a consistency of character. Like he's not going to get on his knees and beg. I feel like what Portia has said about mercy, if it's true, it's not hypocritical ever to ask for mercy. For anyone? Because mercy is falling outside of justice. Mercy exists because justice exists. And so at any time, the question of extending mercy is on the table. Asking for mercy and being someone who could potentially receive mercy seem like really different propositions. Oh, really? I feel like if you are willing to ask for mercy, like actually ask for mercy, you get it in the best sense possible. Maybe I'm thinking about perhaps ultimate justice and mercy when I say that. Yeah, I think all I'm trying to point out is 
Shylock could be shown mercy without having asked for it, and that would still be merciful on those who were giving him mercy. That can happen without Shylock asking for mercy. But if he asks for mercy, we would hope that he gets it because that would kind of put extra you know, consideration on, on those who are in power over him. But they can be merciful without him asking. I, oh, I'm saying, can he ask for mercy and then be like, no, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because it seems like he could say, OK, then mercy, have mercy. And right. they would be like, you wouldn't give a, give right, him mercy. Right, Why should exactly. we give you mercy? But mm-hmm. I think if in that case, if you ask for it. Like Portia, the thing Portia just finished. I mean, unless we only want mercy for our friends <laughs> mm-hmm. and our favorite people. And so mm-hmm. our hero, we hope that the villain, you know, we identify mm-hmm. the villain and we hope the villain gives him mercy. But if the villain were to ask for mercy, we would say mm-hmm. absolutely not. Justice won't allow it. Well, that's a little bit what I'm afraid is happening in this passage. Shylock does not ask for mercy. But when there are opportunities to let him go, what do we hear? Terry Jew, the law hath yet another hold on you. Right? Like... Oh, you thought you were just going to get away with not getting your money back. No, we're going to ruin your life. But they don't end up. Well, they don't end up ruining it as bad as she threatens. So I, I, I'm almost tempted to say mm-hmm. Portia in that scene, we're now going to give you the most unsympathetic read of the law that we can. I think she is now effectively, whether or not intentionally, opening up the possibility for giving mercy to Antonio and the Duke. And Antonio and Duke both take that opportunity. They take the opportunity for the Duke to say, I'm not going to kill you. And Antonio Mm -hmm. to say, I'm not taking half your goods. Right. So with Antonio, as you kind of already intimated, though, it's complex because something that we haven't talked about at all yet is uh, the, the main cultural and racial conflict in the play is between Antonio and Shylock. Yes. Shylock's famous monologue mm-hmm. um, has not a Jew eyes is all about how he has been personally attacked by Antonio, which mm-hmm. no one in the play denies. And Antonio even says, I am as like to spit on thee again. Right? While he's trying yeah. to negotiate mm-hmm. alone from him. Right. He says that to Shylock. Right. And so, and so when Antonio says, no, no, I won't take that money. But I do want you to give it to the Christian that stole your daughter. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I also want you to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. And also every I'm, cent I'm, yeah. that you've ever earned by the yeah. time you right. die, you can die knowing that all of it is mm-hmm. being given. No, to his daughter, but to his daughter who's now been integrated in the Christian community. Right. I right. mean, the daughter isn't named here. It's Lorenzo and your daughter. Like, like yeah. the... the gentleman that lately stole his daughter. Yeah. Right. There's this clear understanding we have taken yet another part of your life and culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Daughter's and already a, stolen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Taking the rest of it. <laughs> right. Just over time. You can live with knowing that that's coming. And it's interesting that Gratiano, who is not very Gratiano in his, in his mm-hmm, behaviors, mm-hmm. he sort of feels like that's too much mercy. Like, I would have led him to the gallows, not the fount. Mm-hmm. It, his, he he yeah. seems to have an attitude like leading him into the fount. Like, what, why are you being so nice to the guy? I hadn't thought what? about that before. The yeah. one time he uses the part of his name is a halter gratis. Uh-huh. We'll give yeah. you a noose give for him, free. Uh-huh. <laughs> give him a noose for free. <laughs> That's the sort of free grace that Graziano extends. Yeah. This is what we call dramatic irony, high school students. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, I didn't mention that. All these yeah. guys that I'm sitting with right now are uh, literature teachers. So Nick Dalby and Jonathan Muller teach our literature classes in what middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. and uh, Dr. Bartell, obviously, you're teaching a Shakespeare intensive right now, aren't you? I in am. the college, I am yes. yes. So we should all shut our mouths and listen to you. I feel like I've been I've been holding this position on maybe casting huge suspicion on the Christians in this scene. I think that's worth considering. I, I'm not I'm not entirely sold one way or the other because to just bring up something I haven't really said so far Sherlock was about to do a horrible thing yes right and and we we see at, at some some key moments of the play notably a moment when he finds that his daughter has run away and he wishes that she were dead right mm -hmm. dead on the ground in front of him there there are clearly moments where we could say well this casts a very negative light on Shylock mm -hmm. as an individual so, the, of course, the cultural and religious concerns are there, but Shylock is worthy of scrutiny as well as a character in this play, and I don't, I don't want to gloss over that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I was just gonna say, and it, and it's like the common, the common factor here seems to be the law. The law is the thing that would allow Shylock to do a horrible thing to Antonio, but given kind of the social cultural factors, that is kind of flipped on its head so that the Christians actually are able to do a pretty terrible thing to Shylock in the end by means of the law. I mean, again, so I was thinking about this earlier with justice, like what, what is the justice of this play or where is justice in this play exactly? Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to be in the law. The mm -hmm. law seems to be the thing that is allowing these people to do terrible things to each other. What are, what are you supposed to do in that situation? So Portia's call for mercy seems to be in one way a kind of call away from the law to get Shylock. I mean, that's obviously with Sh that's obvious with Shylock in that particular moment to call him away from it, to act more in a, I don't know, a kind of human or godlike way towards other people. And then when he says no, she then just brings the law down on his head and does exactly the thing that he was doing to him. But only only now he's the one being punished. Well, I think we made more questions than we answered, but that's how you know it's been great fun. <laughs> I feel like I've learned a lot, even if all I have is more questions. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Constantinople, a forum podcast of the St. Constantine School. Thanks for listening.